The Napa Know How Motorsport Academy is back, bigger than ever, in 2022. Led by supercar star Bryce Forward as the driver mentor, the Academy offers tuition to all racers aged 13 and up, giving insights into the world of racecraft and analysis, plus information on health, sponsorship and media. On top of the information you'll receive, you can win regular prizes and best of all, it's free to join. Get involved at the new Napa Motorsport Asia Pacific Facebook and Instagram pages or visit the Napa Australia or New Zealand websites to sign up and be part of know-how that is synonymous with Napa. Start your engines. This is the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racer Podcast. Well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 10 of the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. Uh, sorry, I couldn't join you a fortnight ago. Man has to take a holiday once every COVID uh, decade or so. So uh, I was off. Thank you very much to Grant for uh, stepping in and running the show with, uh, with my uh, normal sidekick as well. Check out all the Napa Auto Parts website stuff from Australia here and in New Zealand at www.napaparts.com. A very warm welcome to those that have been supporting the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast and an extended warm welcome to those who, listeners, we we hope you enjoy uh, our show for the first time. It was great to see Mount Panorama come alive again on the weekend post-COVID. It's the one weekend a year you can actually see life in my co-host as he returns to the place he grew up. Unlike some of the beautifully restored race cars there on the weekend, Gaz is in genuine condition, unrestored. Welcome, Gary O'Brien. <laughs> yeah, well, this is my 10th episode. Daz, it's only your night. So yeah, well, I, I took, took me about two years longer to catch up to you, the 100 Shannon's Nationals event, so <laughs> I dropped behind already. Yeah, indeed you have. Yeah, it's great to have you back, Daz. I hope you had a great holiday, and we can get back stuck into talking about motorsport. We've got a fair bit to talk about, but... We've got other stuff to get out of the way first. Yeah, certainly. I guess one of the main things that jumped out for me on the weekend, and, and I'm going to stick with the Napa Auto Parts uh, subject here, the Napa Know How Academy's very own Bryce Fullwood, a big congratulations for a fantastic ninth place in the Bathurst 1000. Any top 10 finish at Mount Panorama is something to be very proud of, and especially after a tough weekend for the team at BJR, Bryce getting home in ninth was certainly something to applaud. Yeah, had a really, really good run. I spoke to Brad Jones after the event and he said, really, the only issue they had all weekend was the fact that they had a poor driver change. Something happened there that took them a little bit more time than they uh, imagined. And unfortunately, they were able to get out and get a, a, a top 10 position, unlike some of the other cars in the fleet that uh, had some really serious dramas. Yeah, so there was certainly plenty of other things other than the uh, the supercar circus going on at Bathurst. Gaz, you were there. Um, you saw it. There was some some pretty heavy action around, you know, the flooding. Let's call it around the track. The the Porsches, some of the vision and the you know post the event, the photos of the the Porsches, the Toyota eighty sixes were just a wash. Oh, of course, yeah. And there's nothing organised could really do about it, but. We must uh, mention that uh, Lockie Gibbons won the Toyota Gazoo 86 Australia Racing Series. Uh, he didn't have a, the greatest round. He, he finished fifth overall as Zach Bates cleaned up with three race wins, but all good for him. In the uh, V8 Super Utes, uh, Aaron Borg uh, won the round and he's 
almost in the box seat to win that series. They got a round to go up at the Gold Coast. Uh, Cedars Racing Team actually finished one and two with David Cedars in second position. Uh, also uh, worth mentioning is the cars, the stars of the heritage at Bathurst. And what impressed me most about this gathering of cars put together by Ed Singleton was that the fact that they covered from 1964 to 1985 and they really reflected the history of the great race at Mount Panorama. Covered uh, Group N historic touring cars, Group S production sports cars, Group C and Group A heritage touring cars. And uh, Terry Lawler was the man who came out best in his Group C, uh, X Morris, Bill O'Brien, Ford Falcon XD. But uh, they, they put on entertainment. They weren't uh, there to uh, rip up cars and uh, and made a good fist of pretty trying conditions. Of course, the uh, the Helltech V8 Utes were a, a big feature up there as well. Certainly, um, Gary, I, I want to touch with you because you've been to every single one of the events ever held at Mount Panorama since no, it opened at the racetrack. But um, <laughs> just a feeling after the last couple of years of not being able to get on track and all of a sudden getting there and it's just full of people again and, and pumping like it should be. Well... I was up there on Tuesday and we went up the top. Uh, we and a colleague of ours, uh, Brian Vanderwacker, who works for Fox News, went up the top to uh, view and he was doing some footage on the Penrite launch of their cars for the weekend. And uh, the, the crowd up the top, the camping areas, I've never seen anything like that, even on a Thursday before. To have it on a Tuesday, it was huge. It was just a pity that the weather really jumped in and, and made it a bit more arduous, but I don't think anyone complained about it. They were all loving it. And you're yourself, Gaz, like you, you've been, I'm not joking, you've been to a lot of the races up there over the last 40 years. Um, your personal feeling walking back into the place and it was working again like it should? Uh, I really didn't make a lot of difference. In, in actual fact, the last couple of years with the limited crowds just made it easy to get around. You didn't, weren't fighting a crowd and we had a lot better parking, particularly two years ago in 2020. Uh, we had uh, some really prime parking position because the crowd was so limited due to the uh, vaccination rules at the time. So from that point of view, and this this was my 55th in a row, um, taking into consideration that there was three super touring events in 97, 98, 99. But from 1971 through to now, I haven't missed a, a, a motor racing event at Bathurst. And okay, I lived there from uh, in the early years up to 1978, but I love going back there. My, pet, my father still lives here. So that's a great, uh, great reason to come anyway. Actually, I'm still here. So <laughs> making the most of it and uh, before heading down what, to Sydney Motorsport Park on the weekend for a, another race meeting. When you say, uh, you know, fighting the crowds earlier on, you weren't being belligerent, Gary, were you, and getting angry with everyone and waving your no, dirty no, old man stick no. at everyone, were you? Or? It's just running around chasing people and that you didn't <laughs> have to uh, go through a throng of uh, people everywhere. Race Fuel is a great partner of this podcast and we, we thank them for all of their involvement. Let's get a message from our great mates at Race Fuels. Race Fuels is Australia's leading supplier of racing fuel to national and state-level motorsport. And its range of racing fuels includes the BP Supercars E85, which is available to grassroots races. For power and protection over pump fuel, Race Fuels imports the Elf Race 102, as used by Porsche Carrera Cup and the Touring Car Masters. More info on Race Fuels E85 
and Elf Race 102 is available at racefuel.com.au. Our guest today started racing Tonka trucks in the dirt behind the race control at Phillip Island in the 70s, where his main rival was my illustrious co-host. The motorsport bug was caught very young and both his parents were involved as officials and often journeyed to the Adelaide Grand Prix, which many Victorian officials did. When Phillip Island reopened, he was instantly hanging off trailers, recovering anything that wasn't still racing. He operated as a race radio communications expert and rose to roles within race control. He was a founding director of Race Safe and then a founding director of Team Medical Australia and onward to his own motorsport-based business with fellow racer and wife at Race Solutions. Race director was also always his focus, which he carried through with V8 Utes, Porsche Carrera Cup and many GT and touring car events. Please welcome James Taylor. Thanks, Gaz, and thanks, Des, for having me. And I'm pretty sure Darren wanted to talk a truck racing. Well, yeah, the well, first the, question the biggest problem was that James would destroy your Tonka truck if you won the race. So uh, you well, had to sort of throw I don't it know who him. won those races. <laughs> yeah, it's all too long ago Some now. Some people got a longer memory than others, and I can't really recall who won or lost them. I'm pretty sure he cheated. He wasn't managed to drive anyone long. <laughs> Oh, we're off well, to a great start a here, aren't we, Gaz? So, thanks, thanks for joining us, James. Um, let's let's start off with the, the most recent history. Um, congratulations on the uh, the weekend. Um, obviously at Mount Panorama, you were the the race director up there. Uh, you, uh, you've had many many trying weekends, I'm sure, during your uh, your career. But just as a snapshot, how was Mount Panorama on the weekend for you? Well, I'll give you a rough idea. I've still got my wardrobe trying, so um, it was fairly wet. Um, it was no real difference to what we were used to. You just got to deal with it as they come up. So, fluctuated, hot, dry. And I think if you were watching it on Sunday, one stage, one half of the circuit was wet and one half was getting a nice but suntan. Certainly was the way. Now, this is the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. So, what we would would like to do, and obviously your current role as the, the kingpin during operations of a V8 supercar race, but Let's hark back to, you know, part of that, what Gary mentioned in his uh, introduction, your, your mum and your dad are heavily involved in motorsport. You sort of had a pretty much no opportunity to choose any other sport other than uh, the motorsport to be involved in. Whereabouts did it all start off? You can't remember me beating you in the Tonka truck races, but where 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 did it go from there? What's your first memory? Well, I, I don't know how good your memory is, Daz, but I think you'll remember the compound they used to try and put us in for the camping area. Behind where the old well, noise testing station is now, Phil Bond, where they used to put us kids in the tents and they used to put a fence around us and hope it locked us in. But I don't think it achieved too much. Certainly got us coming back to the racetrack, didn't it? Uh, the um, operationally, as far as um, you know, your career um, to start off as an official was you know, obviously a lot of time at, at Victorian racetracks and particularly Phillip Island. And I guess if we look at it and say, James's career really started on this day at this event. What can you, what's your memory of that coming in your um, mind? I think it would have been when the first of the supercar events went back to the old, after the MotoGP commenced, and then they opened up Pyark. I think it was one of the, it would have been one of the supercar events. So nearly 30 odd years ago. And your role? Now, I think at the time I just stood on the corner as a communications marshal and a flag marshal at that one. 
you know, probably, and that would have been with my dad. So I would have been 17, 16, 17, something like that, around that age group. And uh, your dad's involvement obviously has gone up to uh, very, very recent times. But did you recognise then your passion to get involved in the management of motorsport, the operations management, ultimately the big the big office at the top of the tower, or was it just a, a fun weekend away? Um, back then I was just getting back into it. As a kid growing up, not too dissimilar to you, I used to get upset when Dad went to Sandan and I had to go to school, so I couldn't do much more about that. This was Phil Holland going back, getting back active again. Dad from his old friends, being your father and a few of the other clan, Peter Nelson and Hank Duncan and co. Got him back involved and that was the start of it and it sort of just went from there. Just, just, harking, just harking back to those early days, was, was there any ever an ambition to maybe race as a participant rather than as an official? No, I don't think there was, guys. I think I saw too many friends waste too much money. Um, especially if they bought Mazdas. There was a never-ending trip. I found at the same time we came back, I was actually doing some soccer refereeing down here for Soccer Victoria. So I was sort of, and that was paying me. It was pretty hard work. But as a 16-year-old, you're getting paid a couple hundred dollars a weekend to run around for soccer matches in Victoria. And it was a big decision at the time. And I got the adrenaline bug again, and I couldn't get away with it. I just kept pressuring Dad to go back to Phil Bow and the Sandman. So I sort of changed my career from concentrating on the soccer. I went back more to the car racing again. And to be frank, I was in the right place at the right time when some development was happening at Phil Bowen. And a lot of that was led by Darren's dad, Ken and Hank and all them. And I just sort of rode the way. And as some people laugh, what is a recent history and a recent success was a 30-year project. Yeah, it's one of those stories of uh, an overnight sensation that took 30 years to be the, the overnight sensation, isn't it? Um, touching on, you know, you've touched on your dad and you've touched on and my dad and, and different bits and pieces there as well. What's the influence of um, um, your dad and your mum in motorsport over the years? Are they still a, an active, you know, tick in your ear telling you what you should and shouldn't be doing or is it just to set you free and let you set your own course? Oh. They're active. There's, they've always been supportive, but the main thing they do now is you sort of get the cons- consistent thing where you, as everyone knows, there's some, no one's ever going to be happy with the call you make. There's going to be 50% against you, and there may be 50% of the degree, but you always get the odd text message from mum saying, yeah, I think that was the right call, especially on Saturday. you just got to move on and move forward. But nowadays it's more the constant, well, where are you, where are you going, are you safe type mentality, especially with the stuff in Asia now especially under the current climate, but the support's always been there. It's never waned. I think now they're more worried about what the keyboard warriors get onto in the social media because all our parents are quite adept on Facebook and all the chat channels. And uh, quite aptly, uh, you don't even get involved with any of that. It's not even part of your day, is it? Um, you try not to read it and you definitely don't make a comment. It's one thing I learned quite quickly off Tim when I came back in 2020 to work with Tim's you may want to read it, but you try not to never comment on it. And as you know, anyone that's a close friend like you are does, I don't do any social media at the moment. My wife does, takes care of all our social friends, policies and stuff with Facebook. I just sort of sit back and look at them. Let's take a let's take a big look in the rear vision mirror again, going back sort of 30, 20, even 10 years ago. You made your way into to race control. You started controlling some club type events. Um, 
the program of getting you to where you are now, and if there's anyone listening to the podcast, we are a grassroots level, and I do know there is some quite a large engagement via the Motorsport Australia officialdom, you know, yep. officials. Um, what's the path? How did James Taylor tread the path to, to you know, walking up the stairs with your old mate Warren Reed and controlling a sprint meeting and, and going from there? Um, well, basically, I think Warren's a certain aspect. I was forever working on the corner. I did all those years for recovery, sitting on, as you said, riding tow trucks when that was legal back then and riding on the back of trailers, moved from there to standing on the corners, either communications or as it was in the flag marshal, we used to do the flag marshal at sprint racing to standing in pit lane. And I think, to be correct, I think Warren just sort of, we got along quite well. I did one in the back of housework with Warren. And I just sort of went over crack. And then, as you know, between yourself, myself and Sean Scott, we decided that open practice day. And I think that's where I really got the gist that you can really run these events and make the help the sport improve and progress on the system. Does it so, take a bit out of you, those like those events where you, because you've got to be there all day and prepare for it, and then yeah, I go, right. I guess go for a bit of an aftermath later. Does it take? Is it a draining sort of a role? Well, I think I'm still recovering this morning. Um, more mental fatigue than physical fatigue. We start the events normally, normally don't. We normally have on. I'll work on. If you're happy now, guys, I'll describe what I do now. I've normally got three events on a row going. So, like for instance, we've just finished the Baffer, finished the Baffer's 1000. We're already working on Gold Coast and Adelaide. And prior to Baffer's, we're doing stuff while we're in New Zealand and the round before that. You've always got four events on the road. Well, I beat the sub regs that come through, we've got to approve. Um, never, not to harp on what I'm doing currently now, but I never really understood what Tim did. But Tim can protect, you can spend four or five days a week just on back of house stuff. We, as you know, we go into like a big event like Bathurst. We arrived on site Tuesday and we left Monday. So we set up a lot of the computer infrastructure and race control that everyone sees now on TV. There's a lot more coverage of it in TV. And we're also responsible for stripping it down. And we're generally the first ones on site and the last ones to leave every day because it's where class is. The seniors and the more senior and authority and we're going to be there before it opens and we we leave well after we've left it's one thing i noticed in the good old days of being a clerk of course when you left 30 minutes after the checkered flag we potentially can be on site three four hours after the checkered flag before we even leave it's just like a, a just like a written word journalist gaz you, three or four <laughs> hours the race finishes and the work starts hey yeah i walked yeah, home yeah. about um nine o'clock on sunday night Oh, we we actually beat you out on Sunday. We're out by eight thirty. So, but <laughs> but it's just that I think a lot of people see they see the striving. Motorsport Australia at the moment we've developed a senior officials development program, and there's a, I think twelve people in it this year. And it's just something we spoke about last year. We went to like why well, went to like during the COVID road tours, the two years we did the COVID tour. There's a, there's a big hole in generational gaps of where officials are going to come through. And unless we correct it now and start looking now, there's going to be a point where you might turn up to an event, a state, let's use a state level event, and you won't have officials in the stand track side anymore because there's no development happening and there's no progression pathing. The kids, my wife's team, my wife, like Daz's wife is a teacher. The kids nowadays, unless you give them a projection or what they want to do, 
they're just going to switch off after a couple of years and disappear. So we need to, now there's a big, strong movement to try and find people and try and give them a path so they can work through the system and we can see a goal-orientated process. But, yeah, it's going back to your original question, it, t- it takes a fair bit out of you. And right now, I think I'll be right next week. We've got to wrap up debrief meetings next week and then we're the Gold Coast before we know it. So it's almost a full-time job. Just um, looking back, you said you're planning three weeks ahead, but in the three, three weeks, three weeks, three weeks preceding this, you were in Singapore for the Grand Prix running support events. Yep. You were um, somewhere else in Asia. Um, what was that? What did you have? There was something else. Um, you were Thailand. 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 Yeah, yeah. You, you were you were at Sandown for. Um, the um, Shannon's Nationals event sitting as a as an emergency communicator. So you can step back down out of the race director's role and, and take you up, because of your experience, take up any of those other roles around the track. Yeah, and if you've got Colin Smith, so I did the sports in our state round as well, to help Colin out, because that's a good approach. I, I actually enjoyed the Shannon's round more because I went back to what I used to do previously. And you don't have a lot of the stress of lines in the position. You can actually sit back and enjoy the sport again. Um, the stuff I do in Asia, I really like what I do in Asia because they want to progress and want to get better. So you can actually see something happening and growing. And you, you know, get a big, a bit of good buzz out of Asia. It was quite enjoyable. But yeah, the three three weeks in advance wasn't quite three weeks. What I meant by that is we'll have three events on the go at any one stage. And it's just a background work. But I quite like going back and I've always been a strong advocate don't always betray me, and I hate it even when I had the previous businesses. I hate it always being put in race control. I quite like going sitting in a medical car or a recovery truck for some weekends because mm. you can actually sit back and relax and enjoy it when we get back to the basic grassroots, as you say. When you talk about this progression, where, does that start with flaggies or, like you said, when you talk about a path, is it a – I guess it's probably not all in places yet, but – you would have a system a system where you start off at one point and then you move up and so forth. Is, is that sort of been worked on at the moment? Yeah, the touring flag marshal team have had a good training regime. It, the, problem, the thing you've got to look at is now there's not everyone comes from a generic pathway. So there might be someone that you can't anticipate that might come from the paddock that has a great aptitude to do the rest of the venues. It's the same thing, like there's a couple of young, youngish ones coming out of Pyre now, which I never would have thought of, but Matt Balcombe has raised them, one of those is Jennifer Campbell. And the two events I've worked alongside Jennifer and the team, I think Jennifer's got potential. And Jennifer came from a recovery, grid and starting portfolio, but she's now understanding how operational process works. So someone could come from, some, someone could come from any area of the sport and progress through the system if they've got the attitude and the willingness to learn and spend the time on it. James, I just want to um, jump back again to the time when um, you were announced that you were going to be the, the race director for V8 Utes, a, a category that uh, can raise the blood pressure of the very best of race directors with uh, the way it was back then. It was the old Holden versus Ford, and there was a fair bit of Biff and Barge and Bang and going on. Great drivers, like some very high-caliber drivers. But uh, just tell us about you know some of your, your good, bad, or indifferent memories of, in, in your time in the V8 Utes. Um, <clears throat> with Utes, it was run at the time of run by Cerex, Bill West and Craig, Craig Denny was involved in that, Grant's dad. And I learned a lot from them. And 
the best part about it is that there's a lady who and there was a part everyone knows called Wade Orange. And Wade was one of the ones I learned a lot of from Wade where we could utilize press and commentary in an event. That if you could talk to commentary while the events happen, the recessions happen, they can actually help you and assist you as well. So I learned very quickly with Sarah, and I was probably quite lucky that I went and did the Utes when I did the Utes because I didn't come from another category. And the Utes, in some aspects, everyone knew the Utes were going to crash at some stage. So you got adapted quite quickly to watching the accident, enjoying seeing how the incident evolved it, and then just get used to rectifying the incident. So you learned a bit of reactive management quite quickly. And you got the Utes made you adaptable to anything because there was nothing ever normal with the Ute race. So you had to be ready for the unacceptable and the unimaginable in some aspects. But that was good, but I must give a lot of credit here to like Wayne Orange because he's the one, as Darren I think has had first-hand experience. I have the ability now via Wade that I can actually talk to commentators while a session's going on. So they actually have some information what's happening and they don't get tested the whole time. And that was all Wayne Orange pushing me into that. But the Utes were good, good learning curve. I think now if you wanted a class to learn on, probably the Toyota Gazoo 86 Racing Series is a good one because that has a lot of unpredictable in it. And a lot of younger drivers are trying to prove their worth that seem to think that you have to hit something to get something in the world. Imagine um, trying to do XLs or something now in any state. Oh, I wouldn't mind that. They're actually quite good fun to watch. It's like XLs are now like the old HQs used to be. It's just the cars are shrunk. So jump forward and we uh, we moved from the, the Aussie muscle utes and all of a sudden you found yourself uh, working with the finest piece of automotive kit from Wysark with the Porsche Carrera okay. Cup Series, which you, you hung around in for for a little while there and you worked with some great DSOs and uh, other other people to the point where you're, you're sitting next to your old mate Beto again after uh, a stinted Porsche with him. Um, Porsche was good and that period came across at the period of time where Cameron McConville was the category manager at the time. And I, Cameron, obviously, and I had a working relationship when Cameron was driving that Thunderbird Red Ute, I think it was at the time. And when he stepped across the Porsche, he sort of quietly asked me if I'd be interested in moving. And I was five years at the time at Utes, with his spare Utes. And I explained to him he'd need to approach CAMS at the time because I didn't quite have an understanding of the politics and how it all worked with the positioning. Um, Cameron did the groundwork. I jumped across. I, I quietly asked Paul Stoker to join me because I was working with Paul at the time. With the last series of VAU, so Paul came across the Porsche. Um, so, yeah, stepped across the Porsche, brought in some methodologies I worked to use because I treated everyone the same. It didn't matter if you were a gentleman racing with multi million dollar businesses. I treated everyone the same, regardless of who you were. And we continued that. Method with Porsche and it worked well. I think I did five years at Porsche before I had a year off and concentrated in racing for a year. So Porsche was good, good learning curve, and Porsche gave me the avenue to go to Asia. What was it that was the catalyst all those years ago that um, there was the requirement for medical? And you, you were in on the ground floor, one of the first directors of Team Medical Australia. What was it that that you and your your fellow directors identified with and and Obviously, that business continues today, not with your direct involvement, but uh, what was it that brought those people together to form that? Um, that? That was a 
which say Splinter Group from Network. That was a breakaway group from Simon Mars and Racer at the time, and it was a long time ago, probably 20 years ago now. The core crew was myself, Belinda, my wife, Bear Cassidy was involved, Carl Lee, Dr. Carl Lee, everyone knows Dr. Carl Lee, Stephen Lynch was involved in it, and Martin Doxy was the other. We basically just to keep it enhancing and developing. Um, we, between Simon and us, we got to a point where it was time for a change. So when we moved, we wanted to keep developing it and moving it forward. And that, well, I think I was there for about five or six years before we moved away from them. But it was just a case of the sport needs to keep evolving and not get stagnant. So we wanted to keep providing the best service for our customers and the clients at the time. And you just needed to find an avenue to do that. TMA served that for a couple of years and then we moved away. And then we formed up Race Solutions and continued that process. And we, the thing was, we didn't want to be circuit orientated in the generic. So when we started up Race Solutions, we were all motorbikes, motor cars, dirt, tarmac, whatever. If someone wanted us, we'd go and work it. And it's, all that experience has come quite in handy because now I'm, we're multi-genre trait. Worked in multi genres of the sport, right down to build climbs and motor counties. So nothing's really a challenge. You've got a good background on everything. So if someone asks a question, you go, it's all about learning. You just never say no to what my opportunities are, a lot of things nowadays. So you have a system in place for all the events that you cover, like from where to go that you follow through most different style of events, I guess, for a better way of putting it. <clears throat> Check, checklist, and we're lucky at the time, Gary, that when we, we had a couple of good promoters that would understand what we want to provide, and they went well and above be it the CAMS basic line for, like, let's say, for instance, the old Mount Bull Sprint, when they were Porsche Mount, Mount Bull Sprints. When we were asked to get involved in that, we changed it. We went from two medical cars, we had five medical cars up the hill. We just cut it back to minimise response times and provide a better service to the customer being the driver. The competitor is efficient. And we've been lucky. We always held that we had good client customers and good promoters that understood what we wanted to achieve and were willing enough to cover the costs that were involved. Because everyone's a volunteer. No one no one really gets paid in this sport. There's a lucky few. But you've got to cut if you want good staff to come along like in the race solutions days, we majority of our staff were ED hospital personnel. So you're having assistant directors coming from the Alfred, high-level doctors coming from the Alfred, and they're volunteering the time. So you've got to make sure they're accommodated, fed, and you travel, you've got to get them there. So we were lucky we had good promoters that understood the costs involved and they're willing to accept the cost. That's a big issue nowadays. I guess the um, uh, something that I've talked about with people before, that the official, a lot of officials aren't being paid but if you did pay them, would they be then questioned about some decisions where they'd be they'd have to show more responsibility, or if they made them made a slight mistake or anything, would they be uh, uh, in trouble for it? I guess relieved of their duties, guys. Well, <laughs> abused by so someone much. above them, probably. Um, I wouldn't use the word abused. No, I, that's not <laughs> the. That's good. Oh, that was the first think, word that popped in my head. That you know what I mean. I'm yeah. chastised. Okay? Yeah. Now, he's talking motorsport operations, not motorsport media, Gaz. That's where you get abused. Uh, yeah. Well, I got to work with you, Daz. <laughs> yeah, that's painful enough as it is. 
Um, Gaz is paying out on me, Gaz. Hang on a minute. <laughs> it, it already happens, guys. Um, there is there is a protocol on Motorsport Australia as of the as it's known now. There are processes in place. If someone, if an official feels like they're being aggrieved, they've got a process under the member protection policy. They can utilise that. Um, if they were getting paid, like the stuff I do in Asia or the Asian job per games, like you watch any Asian motorsport, a car stops in a corner and eight to ten people jump over fences from nowhere. Those people are on per diems. It's not much, but for them in Asia, it's quite a lot. And assist them in getting to the events and they get clothed, they get fed. There's a huge camaraderie in Australia, in Asia, sorry, where they all have breakfast in the morning. They all have lunch breaks due to different religious backgrounds. There's always a lunch break. And they all get fed in the evenings before they get go back to their organised houses or accommodation. So in Asia, it works. They all get the deals. In here, it's sad to be like I'm an Australian. We're all well and truly. But the problem I find here, as soon as we start doing that, it'd be where do you put a cap line on where do you stop it? Like everyone will want more. Everyone will want this. I'm lucky with the processes under most of Australia. We all get our accommodation covered. We pay out for our meals and we have a budget that we have to work to every day. And if you claim back up to that budget, no different to your media blokes. We run the same guidelines. I personally think, sadly, it will come back to eventually we're going to have to pay per deeds here. But the problem is then some it'll get to a point like any sort of, let's say for the use of the worst word, a union type organisation where where do you draw the line and how much you pay people and what will people then expect before they'll turn up and it'll turn into a bidding war for some of them. It's like, just you work on officials now. Everyone will go to a Bathurst 1000. Everyone will go to like a Bathurst 12 hour. Everyone will go to the big events like a Grand Prix because they know they're going to get a shirt, a cap, a lunch, a program. If you run a baseline event where you're not giving them anything by a lunch, a lot of people won't turn up to it. Mm. I've picked the big events. It's a it's an evolution that we're trying to inevitably we're gonna to have to deal with it. It'll just be how we deal with it when it happens. Yeah, most certainly. Um I know that at some state level meetings they have trouble getting officials oh. to do things like flagging and um scrutineering and that sort of thing. So I agree with you and they they'll have to do something at some stage. Oh. Well, the Victorian flag team's got an incentive where they do gradings where you get points for events you turn up to, and they'll give you more points if you turn up to like a state level event, a lower level event. And then they have their own award system at the end of the year where, depending on your points, is what sort of award you get. And by memory, they'll correct me if I'm wrong on the internet. I think the more, the higher the points you've got, it's like a graduation where you just go and pick a prize that they accumulate during the year that gets donated to them. And depending on how many points you got, you get first, second, third, fourth pick. And I think that's quite good because it actually entice people then to come to the state level events and not just come to a super supercar event or a challenge now. But they've been doing that for a long time now. A lot of the responsibility or a lot of the, the grassroots access to this sort of thing is still the traditional car clubs, the the, the Holden-based clubs, the Ford-based clubs, the Alfa Romeo-based clubs, the Ferrari, the Mini, the MG, the sports sedans, et cetera. And a lot of that is, it's no different to any other sport. You know, it's it's like a tennis club or a golf club or a bowls club. They've got like-minded people that get together and will run 
race meetings. It just at a at a at a certain level, let's call it, let's call it supercars and Grand Prix. There's um, a fair bit more numbers needed to to cover the track because of the the visibility of the event. So um, that's you know, I mean that's all of what what you're doing, James. Working with almost 100 percent volunteer workforce around you, isn't it? It is now. As I said, excuse me. I think you could probably count on your hand who's being paid at a race track at a racetrack event. That would be very, very marginal, and that's not helping. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't know how you get around it. Um, we strive and we push. The big thing we've done for the last two years is we're trying to get people operating on a certain level. So it doesn't matter if it's a state level or if it's a supercar event, if it's a club sprint. Um, but the problem is, as we all know, it gets to the club level events. It's the same six people all the time, and no one else wants to take it on. Mm. And that's the big thing: is finding more people that want to come in and help the core group and keep it up to that same level. Like you think of the workload that Warren Reed's done at Park, and he just never seems to leave, and he's always still doing his club spin stuff. And the amount of people that come and gone, like I've come and gone. Matt Balfour is still around, but he's never four kids of various ages so you can't commit the time that's involved in so James, I want to just uh, scratch scratch the, the surface a little bit on the, I guess, the generational change. And it was a big generational change when when Tim Schenken left the, the role at Supercars and essentially you slid into the seat behind him with his very clear anointing of you. There was a, um, a very graceful exit of Tim and a very graceful arrival of James Taylor, have you absorbed everything that Tim had developed over the last 25 years or whatever it was he was in the role or have you taken on board what he's done and gone, thanks, Tim, I'll do it the James Taylor way? Um, ironically, Tim Tim would still be around if, he, if the options were still be around. Very active mentally and physically. He was a strong advocate of always being the best regardless of the conditions. He was He's really big on pushing people to be their best at all times. We've only changed, to be quite frank, we've probably only changed 10% from what Tim used to do. We're still running 90% of all the systems Tim put in place. We're just refining or putting your own characteristics onto some things. So we haven't changed a lot from what Tim because he had it set up to a level. And what a lot of people won't understand is that supercars and the way Tim strove and pushed supercars is well respected by the FIA as well, where the systems are put in place, and Tim was quite an advocate for the FIA process. So we haven't changed a lot because there was not much never changed from the way Tim had set it up. We just come in, as I said, put our own little characteristics on a few things, and that's about it. We haven't no major changes. The old adage: if it's not broken, don't fix it. And so there's no need to fix it. Something that was really visible at the the one thousand on the weekend was. Um, the camera that was mounted in race control and and clearly had an atmosphere atmospheric microphone attached because we were I guess we were like a, a fly on the wall watching what you were doing. Um, the front or rear one? Say that again. The front or rear camera? Oh, no, the front one that that, that yeah. had the non-smiling face. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, you should know, Mr. Smith. There's a JTV professional and JTV. I did notice. I, I did notice uh, there was a race control voice that came across, but um, that yeah, that, visi- <laughs> that visibility um, into race control—that's access which we just have not 
had before. And you touched on the the great man, Wade Oranger, who was a showman of the, the highest accord in the commentary booth. Um, and, and he speaks highly of you and that experience with you as well, because there was a, a transparency, which I feel as though uh, after last weekend um, was really well welcomed. And I did appreciate the fact that when the really hard announcement had to be made, when the top 10 shootout was uh, announced, it wasn't going to go ahead. You pushed David Murray out to make that announcement. This this might seem funny. We both of us were both in race control because one of our people don't realize we're watching everything, we're listening to everything. When the rain started during the water for a cup race, we all went upstairs and we like to observe. And we started to understand what Dave Stewart was about to do as race director for Porsche. And we went, okay, the rain was coming in in front, (laughs) was sitting in race control. And don't take this wrong, I looked at Dave and said, it's either you or me that is going to get drowned. Um, I lost that straw. Um, Bad, I lost that straw. What it came down to is I have a fairly good understanding of Asian monsoon and how the rain can come in. Ironically, it was at the Challenge Bathurst event, I think it was November last year, where we had a water main break in the same location, almost same location where the issue was this weekend. <clears throat> So there's a call cruisers going out, like, as everyone would have seen, there's a Kia Carnival parade in front of the safety car. So in that Kia Carnival was myself, Craig Baird, Shane Howard, the CEO, Adrian Burgess, who's the head of motorsport, as well as Tunecliffe from VX Supercar TV. So it was that core crew in that Kia Carnival that made the decision, yes or no. We radioed to David. Um, Murray, who was upstairs, and said, Dave, you need to do this. We didn't know I was going live to TV because Thomas didn't tell us that. So, d- ironically, I texted Dave the other night. Dave made Cheap Six on Channel 10. I said, mate, you got to watch Cheap Six. You live in Adelaide, you're half an hour behind the rest of the world. You've got plenty of time to catch up. So, so basically, it was a case of all the senior personnel got drafted out to go out and get wet. So, as I said before, the five of us in the minivan. We were the one that made the decision there and then, and it worked quite well because you had Shane and Adrian that can coordinate the back of house contracts, supercars I've got. We had tunnels in there that could control all the real deals here to do with the internet, um, Fox, Seven, all the satellite feeds. And it was a mutual decision in the van. And it was after we did the two laps and we went back. We'd actually tried to correct the water flow from halfway up to turn one coming back to turn one. We thought we'd have it, and then the second front came through and killed us. So as I said in the press conference we had on the Saturday night, we were nearly there until the second front came in and Mother Nature smashed us. So across the top of the mountain was usable. It was just that turn one section that we couldn't use. But that's the reason Dave Murray was on TV is the five of us were out in the minivan cutting laps in the Kia Carnival. And anyone knows anyone at Kia? I'm looking for a sportage. (laughs) <laughs> it's pretty high level stuff isn't it Gaz when you're talking about those people sitting in a Kia Carnival isn't it well it's just sitting there waiting for a decision and uh, the right one was made I think so yeah, yeah there's, I don't think there's been any argument to that yeah there, there was a lot of chewing and throwing and Beardo puts across a good driver point of view and then as I said you've got Shane and Adrian that bring across the commercial as well tunnels with the feeds but yeah we all mutually agreed that it wasn't going to happen because we just couldn't from the subside of the river coming down 1.5 out of the driveways. 
James, as we um, Gaz touched on in the opener, you've worked up, up and down or all around Australia, up and down the Southeast Asia into Northern Asia, China, etc. What, what over the years is one race meeting where you can point to and go, gee, we got that perfect or we were 95% perfect or we were 80% perfect? What was the one where you walked away at the end of the weekend and went, wow, we're out, we've clocked off at 6.30, not 9.30, and, and what a great event. Is there one in your head you can go, yeah, I really like that one? Um, this may sound frank and sort of self-cocky, but I really love the two 12 hours when I break through Angel Laps. Um, working with Crowley and com- his commentary side of things, Crowley, I said to Crowley at the start of it, I always catch up with Crowley before the 12 hour for a, a dinner. And he said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to break through Angel. And there was one year we did it, Crowley brought up this thing, hashtag 300, which might have been a bad thing in hindsight nowadays, but I was striving for 300. I put a lot of pressure on the response crews, especially the recovery people, and just push, push, push. And we got it to the point where I think we had 13 safety cars even when we broke 300 laps, but we got the, we cut back the safety car periods more often, but the less time. So uh, that's probably the event. And I've actually got the poster hanging up and some other stuff from that event. That's the event I got the biggest buzz out because one, I set a goal and we achieved it. And that's, and we could just see that everyone else did recovery, did what we wanted. The fire teams did what we wanted. The medical team did what we wanted. Everyone walked out of it like, oh shit, how good was that? We busted 300 laps. And I think we did 313 or something. That was, that's probably the only, that's one big event where I walked out of it and yeah, we nailed it, dropped the microphone inspector. I'll go the other. I'll go the other way. What was one where uh, where it wasn't so good, didn't quite work out, where uh, things things you out of your control or in your control didn't work out? Um, be the last V8 Super Ute race I ever did at Darwin, where we got around to turn two. And went, oh yeah, we're home and dove. Not to mention names, but everyone knows where one person hit a person at turn four and we lost half the field at turn four in Darwin. And I just went. It's beyond control because you can only tell them what you have to do to achieve. And I sort of went, had this attitude when I walked out there and when I spoke to Bill and Craig and went, I don't know what I can do here. They just don't care. And Bill and Craig just sort of toughen up. We've got to get to Gold Coast yet because we used to wear from there to Townsville. That was one year that I was sort of happy to leave Darwin when we left Darwin after the third race because <clears throat> it was just chaos. And then I think if you go back to it, they hit drivers right, they hit drivers left. I think half the field got to turn five. It was just a nightmare that race. Well, we've got a we've got a we've got a Ute racer coming up in the not too distant future. Gaz, we'll have to ask him uh, if he uh, if he remembers that one. Can what? I ask who that is? Uh, not yet. It's a secret. Uh, <laughs> well, I was going to ask. Were you there when the, the Gold Coast Ute debacle happened on the <laughs> second chicane on the back straight? Yeah, when um, I won't mention names. Um, yeah, we had one person that thought he could drive through it like he was in an FA 13, 35 <laughs> or something. Couldn't work out while his car was two and a half foot shorter at the front, and then we had five cars at his back. And the bike that worked for a go-kart joint or owned a go-kart place that tried to drive home and created more. Yeah, I was there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that must rate a pretty close second then. <laughs> no, nah, Darwin was worse because they're all whinging and the drivers sort of said, oh, we've got it. We had a big one chat during Drysburg and they wanted the penalties to be increased to make it harsher and more severe and then that race they just went haywire and you sort of went well, why am I bothering so 
But yeah, I remember Gold Coast, but Gold Coast wasn't the worst one I've had. Oh, and I think I took a bit more personal saying why we're here. Yeah, so it, James, you've obviously got the Gold Coast coming up next and the, the rest of this year's um, supercars stuff. I don't want to talk too much more around the supercar side of things, but your your time in China and all throughout Asia where you've done stuff, even the, the Bang Seng race, you must be up to about 10 of them, in, excluding the COVID years. But uh, there seems to be a fairly high level of respect for your operational skills um, in, in that part of Asia. You've mentioned the, the fact that they want to get better. How do yeah. you see your role fitting in with all those different um, organisations? To be quite frank, until I get the calendar for next year, I mean, this is working on the theory that I'll pro progress next year with supercars and I work on a, like a football player's analogy. As long as I don't stuff it up, I should be attending the next game. So I'm looking pretty good at the moment and we're striving pretty hard not to make any mistakes, as much as some people don't agree with that. The Thai, my stuff in Thailand, as I said before to you guys, I really like Thailand because they want to improve the whole time. And I'm a strong advocate and I'll promote buying the same street race as much as I can from Thailand Super Series. I love the place. It's got a nice attitude. Like, this is one event where they don't charge for crowds. So you'll have 150,000 there locals that have not wow. taken a cent and taking it in. And it's on the beach. It's got a good atmosphere, good good social life. You can relax. It's warm. My wife loves it, so that's always a bonus if you like to let me go away overseas to work. Um, the problem I have is my number one priority is the supercar calendar, and the dates need to align around that. Eugene and Michael Smith have been fairly good. They, had, they explained to me right at the word go pre-COVID when I came on board. Being there myself and how I can travel, so they're quite happy for me to control that, but it can't improve your superpowers and the stuff on the line to with Motorsport Australia. So until the calendars are released and starting to get late now, so hopefully the supercar calendar will come out soon, I can't commit to anything in Asia until I know that calendar. And what I will commit to will be what I'm going to do and priority will go to the Thailand Super Series, which is what I work with at Singapore. This year is our support race as, as the Super Series at Singapore this year, and they'll be going back next year. I guess the, the next question is, and you've been to just about every single Formula One Grand Prix in this country. You've done the Singapore uh, thing for numerous years as well. Is there any looking over the hill to a, a role within Formula One or something more international, or has the whole Michael Massey experience burnt uh, any Aussies in that sense? Um, yeah, and ironically, we caught, we all caught up with Michael again. I'm a great mate of Michael and got a lot of time for Michael and we can have an open and fair discussion. To be frank, if someone from the FIA rang up, you think about their, what they're trying to propose, but you'd also, in hindsight, now be trying to work out, make sure that you're going to be protected as well. And by protected, I mean looked after that you're going to be in position, put in positions where you can, and will be controlled and someone's there helping you, not just from it. Like the Michael thing, I don't think we'll ever know the full story between Michael, but if someone from the FIA did approach me, I'd, I'd strongly, you have to look at You've always got to strive to next level, but I always wanted to concentrate in Australia. The Asian stuff was a bonus. Going to Europe is going to be a little bit harder. It's a little bit harder due to the fact that you go from a 10, 12 hour flight when you're doing 21 hour flights to go to an event in Europe. So that's a big difference. And 
most of the stuff I do in Asia, especially for family back home, it's only a two or three hour time difference. It's not a huge time difference. So priorities are here. Asia, when I can do Asia, if someone did offer me something in FIO, yes, I would be stupid not to look at it, but I'd do a fair bit of due diligence on the process and what's involved and the amount of hours involved in it. Well, well, Gaz, um, I reckon that's been a good old chat, giving us a really big insight to officialdom, volunteering. Um, I guess, James, if someone's interested in trying to emulate you, the the, the strong recommendation is don't. I'm going to be here for the next 20 years doing this role like Tim Schenken did. But uh, (laughs) officials getting involved at the, you know, at bit like your commentary, Daz. Yeah, I reckon yeah, James and I will probably walk out of the track at the same on the same day, yes. <laughs> probably will, because he'll be pushing me or I'll be pushing him. Um, no, more than welcome. I, I'm quite open. That's why, I quite, as I said a, a while ago, I quite like going to do the state race event at Sandown for Colin Smith and the Sports Events people crew. And I also really like going to the Shannon's event. I, as I said, Matt Balcom said he had a hold of field and race control. A lot of people didn't realise that for 25 years, I was an emergency coordinator at the Grand Prix, so I sort of knew what I was doing there, funny enough. Um, I really enjoyed it because, like, as I said, I got to watch from close calls and Jim Ket, Jennifer Campbell, so you get to find people. So it worked out a lot. I just have one question left, and you always sound so cool, calm and collected. Is it really like that? Um, it's, it's years of experience, Gaz. Um, I have an advantage where I come from a response. A lot of years working in response. And a few people, Simon Mars, I've mentioned his name before. He was great. Him and I got on really well. And we used to always have a corny, a query, clear saying when we used to rock up to the MotoGP when we're running the MotoGP medical team. You had a lot of first-time people come from hospitals, ambulance services, doctors. And as you know, if you watch motorbike accidents, the accident might start at turn three but finish at turn four. And it used to be quite funny watching medical people run out, turn left and chase the bike as he still slides down the road. So we used to sort of strongly explain to them as much as they didn't really want to understand it. We used to sort of strongly put into them, watch the accident, enjoy the accident, then go fix the accident when it finishes. So a lot of a lot of things doing. And another thing to remain calm is because for the five, you know, six years now, six years I was in Asia, you had to work for a translator. So everything took longer. So you had more time to think or you had to really condense your wording so minimise the translation to wherever I was going. And China is a good example of the Shanghai Grand Prix. So you try to keep it short and concise. And in a way, let's go back to way, you always sort of take a few deep breaths and go for it. So the way the system works now with supercars, they pretty much televise any vocal cause we do, any vocal movement we do for a penalty or whatever's coming up. So we all, you just take a couple of deep breaths, no different than a commentator, you sort of watch it, prepare for it, as someone highlighted on the weekend. I write everything down to the notebook, and then I've also got an iPad where I keep all my minutes in, time-coded. So I write it down in the notebook. As soon as I set it, I start adding it into the iPad. So it gives you time to calm down before actually fire off so you're not firing straight at the arrow you've got a bit of time to catch it and as i keep saying to my wife i talk clearly in an event because i need people to understand me when i get home i'm just going to mumble 
That's as simple as that. <laughs> and I think Darren will agree with that. A couple of red wines and uh, away you go. Oh, I'm not sure whether it was yourself or Tim that Jamie Widcup in uh, at Pukekohe that year said, oh, all these guys want to do is go and have a couple of red wines. The funny part is I don't even think it was Tim. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it wasn't a Tim. Tim is very, very staunch on having his one Brady Legger, which is zero alcohol, and a lot of sparkling water, lemon, no ice. That's what Tim will have when we go out. So New, New Zealand definitely wasn't Tim and his plan because they're very strict on that. <laughs> Now, I, I have one final question as well, Gaz, um, James. Um, around the tracks, you're most commonly called JT. That seems to be the, the nick type, nickname that you run with. My only question is that the, the other bloke on the planet that gets called JT is Justy, Justin Timberlake, and I'm just wondering if you're going to bring Sexy back with him. Yeah, no. And I'm not going to sing Fire and Rain. Someone brought that up last week when we were in the middle of Fire and Rain. I'm quite glad you only went to JT. I thought you were going to you and the Richard Crowell special. So, oh, we'll um, leave that. We'll leave that. that <laughs> we'll leave that up to the the race talk guys and uh, some yeah. of the other podcasts you've appeared on over time. And also um, uh, on the on the uh, sorry parked up. Uh, you've been on on that podcast. Oh, as yeah. Well. yeah, that's right. Body Mouse, Tony Delberto. Yeah. No, yeah. no J- JT. I think it was just a match. But there's two of us in the supercar crew that are both got the first name J. So I stuck with JT. The other one's James Del Zoppo. He's got Del Boy or James. So JT works and it's quicker. Well, James, thank you very much for your, your time on the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. Really appreciate um, um, your time and the insight into your career and I guess more broadly the the race control and operations of a race many. Thanks for your time. Yeah, great. Thank and you. I'm to, to talk to you boys whenever you need or if you want something else to answer. Just nothing straight after an event. I won't tell you anything, but no comment. Maybe between <laughs> meetings. Yeah, it's the best. Well, speaking of Napa Auto Parts, uh, Jet Johnson, who uh, carries uh, the signage on his car, didn't have a real good weekend at the most recent round of the TA2 muscle cars at Sydney Motorsport Park as part of the AMRS. Uh, unfortunately, he had a uh, incident in qualifying, which meant that he missed a shootout and had to start from the back of the grid, went off at turn one in wet conditions and uh, put the Mustang in the wall. Then in race one, he had a similar problem where, where a pulley belt bolt broke, lost power steering, went off at the same spot again, but then fought back and in the end finished up in uh, with a race win. But uh, the round went to Zap Lascalpo in his Camaro ahead of Michael Kulha in uh, Mustang and Lee Stibbs in another Camaro. There was a dramatic, it was a dramatic weekend in race three of the weekend. There was a major uh, incident down at turn two. Ended up five cars involved and one car on top of Anthony Tengate's Mustang. So that race was null and void. But all in all, a pretty good weekend for uh, TA2 muscle cars and uh, one more round to go down at Winton in the future. I think uh, in, as when they stack them up like that, I think that's um, TA2 cars breeding. I think that's their part of their breeding program. Yeah, I, I don't think Anthony would probably say that, but yeah, he was a bit sore and sorry after it and he had to go back to medical, but I think it was just bruising. Uh, from that point of view, uh, Gilmore Racing's Noah Sands secured the Australian Formula Three Championship. He won all three races at the fifth round, so he can cruise at the next one. 
Also on that program, of course, there was uh, Legend Cars. Lockie Ward won four races easily, but had a drive shaft issue and couldn't start the last. Scott Meville ended up winning ahead of Brian Pring. Thunder Sports uh, combined with Stock Cars, where Scott Nind in his uh, NASCAR Ford Mustang won two races and Brett Mitchell in the Oz truck, uh, which probably would have been a Silverado originally, but it's got a Malou front on it. They had two wins each. XL's had a 90-minute uh, endurance race with uh, most opting to run two cars. It was uh, Matt Moss-Robertson and Dion Scott who ended up winning that 90 minutes with around 14 cars. Wasn't all that enthralling, I must say, but... Uh, I was going to say, was the endurance for the fans watching on? Or? <laughs> yeah, well, it was endurance for me too. I was itching to get out of there to get the Bathurst. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, the reason why there was only a uh, limited number of XLs, they're all in Queensland for the XLs Nationals at Morgan Park. And that was won by Ethan Griggolt, a uh, fellow Victorian like your good self. And Brad Berecka won the Masters. So here's another victory. So they did A couple of Mexicans well. did well up there, didn't they? They did, certainly did. Uh, it didn't uh, augur too well for uh, uh, Brad, Brady Owen because um, he was a base setter all weekend. He was leading but an incident involving he and Ryan Kasher uh, brought about his downfall. He went into a tie barrier at about 120 kilometres an hour and wasn't real happy about it. Kasher ended up finishing second in that. And at the same meeting, we had the Improved Production Nationals brought to you uh, to them by Yokohama and Midas, and it was a local. In Zach Hudson, in his Master RX-7, you'll love this, Daz. I've been waiting for you to get to it, Daz. been absolutely champing at the bit to get there. <laughs> He's become the third Queenslander to take the title in the 30th running of the annual event. Um, actually, uh, it didn't look like he was going to have it all his way. We had uh, Jordan Cox in his little Suzuki Swift Turbo and Trevin Spateri in the Mitsubishi Evo 6 that were right on his heels until those two had a little bit of a coming together. Uh, resulted in, uh, Ryan, uh, in, it resulted in uh, Jordan having a, a massive save, even though he did brush the wall at turn three where they go under the bridge. Uh, which ended up uh, with a broken uh, front suspension and Trevor's material speared off and had some uh, exhaust and gearbox issues. So they didn't finish. So the runner-up position went to Jason Clements in his BMW and third position to David Walden in, in an RX3. So you had oh, the return. The return. Yeah, it's good to see an RX7 get a win again because they've really been pushed aside and, and I guess they've been the, the most traditional, let's call it, improved production slash club car winner. And, and I got to hand it to Zach. I've only seen him race once at Queensland Raceway, but boy, um, to defend off Jordan Cox um, in, a, in a manner that he did and to bring home the, the award. Very emotional too, actually. There's some good footage of him getting out of the car and, and giving family and crew members big hugs and stuff like that. It is, it's one of those categories like our beloved sports dance, Gaz, where they're, they're pretty much, bespoke no one just follow you don't just go to you know wood brothers and get yourself a ta2 or whatever it is you, you they build them specifically um you know almost one-offs and uh, uh massive amount of emotion spilled over at the end of that it was fantastic to see the that grassroots passion for people that start off in the shed and go oh, we're just going to take this old rx7 racing and 
develop it, it to a point, you know, like they've got on board the the legendary Phil Laird there and, and, and bits and pieces. So those cars are massively highly tuned, highly strung pieces of kit. We also must mention that they ran a separate under two litre uh, championship race as well, or nationals race. And that was won by Kurt McCready in his Nissan Sylvia. Uh, he was actually uh, quite uh, good in some of the heat races because the heats were combined over and under two litre. Ryan Gorton was the one that set the pace also in a Nissan. But unfortunately, while leading the final, had uh, both return uh, springs on the accelerator brake and was a DNF. Uh, it was a bit sad for him not to have finished. Interestingly enough, the same weekend was the final round of the Victorian State Circuit Racing Championships, the Motorsport Australia Championships um, at Phillip Island. And uh, I would love to have a list of results for you, Gaz, but I flew out the back door of the track and uh, got on an aeroplane to go on holidays. So well, I haven't, uh, haven't managed to do the review. Before. Hey? It was the week before. The week, well, yeah. And then the week before that, the good <laughs> thing got was lost. We, we, we got, uh, yeah, I was just looking for a holiday, man. <laughs> it was yeah. down the well, Also talking of nationals, uh, Sydney Motorsport Park had the saloon car nationals. Yes. Unfortunately, there was only uh, 14 entries and 12 of them were from Western Australia. So they made a the big trip over. And Grant Johnson has now picked up his third uh, national title. He won up at Hidden Valley and he won one at uh, Wanneroo. So he came all the way over and... Uh, and got the got the uh, chocolates. He any idea, Gaz, why it was so small? Because the last field in the Victorian Championships was a, was like twenty eight cars. Yeah, I know. The, um, the 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 talk that I was led to believe was that it was going to be a good field because uh, the South Australians and the Victorians were going to come were going to come up, but they all went to Phillip Island instead, and they weren't going to turn around and come straight up. The well, city yeah, all the, the all the South Australians came because Sean Jamison won the championship. Yeah. But and he, uh, he didn't worry about the nationals. Yeah, he used a Falcon and a Commodore to do it too. Yeah, I haven't spoken to him, but it would have been good to see him up against up against Grant Johnson because Grant won all bar one race, and the only race he didn't win, he was half a half a car length behind Brad Madden from Queensland, his Falcon, because he started from uh, pit lane. So he he, he had. He had it uh, easily won. He is the quickest car there. And as you said, you know, the the last race, which was just a, there was heats, but they really didn't mean a lot. And uh, that's the way it ended up. Let's jump forward. Let's have a look what's coming up. Certainly the, um, the coming event for the final round of the Shannon's Motorsport Australia Championships coming up at Talem Bend where... Uh, We'll have the Fanatec GT World Challenge powered by AWS, Porsche Michelin Sprint Challenge, Australian Prototype Series, the Radical Australia Cup, and, uh, of course, the Australian Production Cars presented by Liquamoly. So uh, a big weekend, and we'll top it off with uh, the crowning glory, the RSE, RSEA ARC, the Australian Rally Championship, and the Bend Classic, all on the one property in that on that weekend. Or the ARC will disappear off into the Adelaide Hills for most of Saturday, but the power stage is being run um, at Tail and Bend at the racetrack. We'll be using part of the racing surface, part of the surrounding tracks and, and, and access roads that they've got on the property. So that's going to be a huge weekend for uh, South Australian motorsport. In fact, it's probably going to be a good weekend for them leading up to the, uh, the Adelaide, the Velo uh, Adelaide 500, a number of weeks Later, of course, the Sandown Historics on the 4th, 5th and 6th of November. 
And good news, Gaz, it's uh, all going to be on Blendline TV. And, uh, you know, <laughs> got the big gig, mate. <laughs> They're paying you the big bucks for that weekend, are they? Got the big gig onto the uh, Sandown Historics, which I've been to many times with the national sports sedans when they've run their last brand. Well, they're there, part of that. They? Yeah, they're, they're there. HQs yep. are there and all your usual um, historic categories. So it'll be it'll be great getting on uh, Blendline TV and they're, they're going to be beaming it out around the world. So the live stream coming to historic racing, fantastic. Inclusion. Well, there's a historic meeting this weekend. Is Oh, no, sorry. There's the uh, Formula Ford Festival and the Formula V Nationals, along with some Formula 5000s up at Winton. There on the is. weekend, and I think Blendline are covering that as well. Yeah, the um, the other one, the other big news is out at Island Magic with the Porsche Michelin Sprint Challenge holding their final round after the the Shannon's event was cancelled earlier on in the year. Um, so they needed to get a round at Phillip Island. So uh, Pyak have included that in Island Magic, and uh, Tim Macro and his uh, herd of merry men in Formula Free, and that's right, F R E. So it's an open. Um, open-ended sort of formula and sports car type of category will be included there as well. So a couple of big fields that I'm hope uh, that Pyark are hoping on their 70th anniversary year to pack out their uh, end of year, as um, our mate Brett in pit lane would say, the schoolies for race car drivers at uh, at Phillip Island for Island Magic. But there's still a plenty plenty to go before that weekend at the end of uh, of November. I would love to get down to that meeting. It's, uh, it's one. It's on the bucket list. I've been to the the classic event in February or March, whenever they normally have it. But I'd love to get down for the Island Magic at some stage. Next time that the Improved Production Nationals are uh, on, which normally the Improved Production Association will try and negotiate a spot on the Island Magic one, that'd be they're the ones to get to because they they'll have three fields of Improved Production cars a full field of under two litre cars. And it's just a, a massive event. Plus all the other, you know, the famous trophies, the Matthew Flinders plate, which is for improved production, the 50 K plate for sports sedans, which now the Clem Smith trophy has gone. That's the most prestigious single race for, uh, for sports sedans. So yes, Gaz, it would be uh, great for you to grace us with your presence. I believe our Crail will be fronting up that the Porsche gig there is there. So he'll be having his first Isle magic this year. The um, what's your thoughts on? We talked that we just had three national events, so we've got another one coming up this weekend with Formula V. How do you reckon a meeting would go if we had all four nationals on at one event and just keep moving around state to state, like as a big club sport? Great, great idea, like a festival. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't agree. I couldn't agree with you more. That would be. So you're talking Formula Ford, Formula V, improved production, saloon cars, XLs, XLs. Yeah. I reckon if you put XLs there, you'd probably have to do it over two weekends. Yeah, for HQs as well. I always, um, I was always enthused, and I mentioned to, uh, I mentioned it to a series of different um, presidents of the Australian Sports Sedan Association of Victoria, and said, "How about we had a Sports Sedan Nationals?" And the answer I got completely from two different presidents, five or six years apart, was, "Oh, we just need another two weeks to get this rocket ship on the track." (laughs) You know, you could have 400 of them, but you'd only end up with 30. Yeah, if you played it two years in advance, you still you'd still need two 30. more weeks, yeah. <laughs> oh, we're just waiting for XYZ to give us a widget. We'll be right. There's once one, someone once said herding cats. Yes, exactly. Exactly. 
Gaz, I reckon that uh, will do it for episode 10. What a, a big night. Great to uh, have had David on board and experiencing all his adventures um, across so many different categories and so much success over his career. Um, I reckon we're done. Yeah, sounds good. It's good to have you back. Thanks, Gaz. I'll uh, I'll try to keep my holidays to once every three years again, shall I? You just do it on the off week. That'd be all right. <laughs> That's right. Try and fit it in in between when we're not doing uh, doing the podcast. Well, thanks very much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us again at episode ten of the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast. www.napaparts.com.au is where you can check it all out, and we'll catch you again soon. See you, Gaz. Bye, Gaz. You've just listened to another Network Car production. 